Welcome to episode 52, Bikram Yoga Through the Lens of Buddhist Practice. Uh, there's lots of physical benefits to practicing Bikram Yoga, and I'll talk about a little bit of that at the end, but this is mostly going to be focused on the mind and the mental benefits um, through the lens of Buddhism. I've been practicing Bikram Yoga consistently now since about last fall, so coming up on a year. The first time I did it was in 2013, and I just did a couple classes here and there from there until about a year ago. Um, right now I'm practicing averaging about three times a week, and I've experienced a tremendous amount of benefit from this practice. And I just want to couch these benefits through the lens of Buddhism. Um, so we'll start off with two of the ten perfections in Buddhism, generosity and patience. So by generosity, I mean generosity with your attention, okay? Um, and the way that you increase your generosity of attention or you perfect your generosity of your attention in this practice is during the practice of Bikram Yoga, you're focusing on every single word, word for word, all of your attention. And then the patience portion, or the perfection of patience, you're then being patient with the object of your attention. You're not getting in a hurry. You're listening to exactly what the teacher is saying and performing what they're instructing you to perform, um, which I find to be extremely beneficial. Uh, just in that practice of focusing your attention and then being patient with the object of the attention. Um, so why is the practice so good for this, for these two perfections? I should probably get into what Bikram Yoga actually is, if you're unfamiliar with it. Bikram Yoga is a Hatha Yoga practice. And Hatha Yoga, uh, Hatha is Sanskrit for with force. It's a physical practice of yoga that's grounded in discipline. Um, it's an hour and a half long class, 26 postures, two of which are breathing exercises. It's the same class every time. It's over 100 degrees. It's over 40% humidity. So it's warm and it's humid. So you have, to, and the, the postures are challenging. So you have to focus your attention on the instruction from the teacher um, if you want to have the best results and the best experience. So that practice of just listening to the words of the teacher, every word, word for word, is tremendously beneficial for training that, for training that generosity of attention. And then also the patience, because the, the system is set up in Bikram where the instructor or the teacher is talking the whole time, the whole hour and a half, there's words coming out of their mouth. And this is all intentional. The timing, the tone, the cueing that they use, the word selection that they use, it's all part of a system to get you into the postures in a certain way. So you have to be focused on every single word. Um, a common fault is to, you know, you've done a few classes and, you know, you realize you're going into tree pose because that's the 
time for the tree pose and you just go ahead and go into it, right? Without listening to the instructor, they're going to tell you word by word each little piece when to do it. So it's excellent for training your generosity of attention. And then the patience, not getting in a hurry to get into the posture, right? I found this practice to be, Bikram's yoga practice, to be the best thing I found for training generosity and patience. And it translates, it translates over um, to your other areas of your life where you need to focus your attention and then be patient with what you're receiving through that attention. Um, the second thing that I want to talk about uh, is concentration of the mind, right? I found that practicing Bikram yoga has really increased my concentration of the mind. And this is a kind of a tricky topic. Um, I'm talking about these terms, again, through the lens of Buddhism. Um, and so this stuff's really uh, kind of hard to talk about. It can be kind of abstract. Uh, so I hope this is um, easy to follow, but I'm going to go ahead and go to a book to sort of define and flesh out this idea of concentration of the mind. This book is called Emptiness, A Practical Guide for Meditators by Guy Armstrong. I'll give you a little bit of info about Mr. Armstrong before I read from his book. Guy Armstrong has been leading insight meditation retreats since 1984 in the United States, Europe, and Australia. His training included living as a monk for a year in the Thai forest lineage. Guy is a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council and a guiding teacher of the Insight Meditation Society. He lives in Woodacre, California. So concentration, Pali, Samadhi, is a key word in meditation and one that is easily misunderstood. It refers to a mind that has become collected, composed, or brought together. Collectedness restores a power to the mind that we give away when we incessantly pursue the distractions of past and future. In the Pali discourses, a synonym for concentration is the unification of the mind. A unified mind is a powerful, a powerful agent. Investigation can also collect the mind's distracted energies and bring them together, but the collectedness of investigation will disappear when interest wanes or the specific inquiry ends. The composure of concentration, once established, is more stable and long-lasting. As a translation, concentration is probably not the best term to convey the meaning of the Pali term samadhi. In English, concentration refers primarily to the mental factor of attention or focus indicating the ability to stay on a single object or topic. A student might say, can you turn the music down? I'm trying to concentrate on my homework. In this usage, even a present moment experience like music could be seen as a distraction to the single chosen focus. But in meditation, concentration denotes the collected quality of the mind itself, regardless of its focus. It is quite possible for the mind to be highly concentrated with or without a single ongoing focus for the attention. For example, in mindfulness of breathing, a very, a very narrow focus on the breath at the nostrils may be sustained for hours at a time. 
But in the practice of choiceless attention, we allow the focus to shift to a new object in every moment. It is important to understand that both methods can be used to develop high levels of samadhi. This linguistic confusion is not helped by the fact that a synonym for concentration in the classical texts is one-pointedness, pali-ekigata. Some commentators have taken this to mean that there must be only a single ongoing focus, for example, breath at the nostrils, in order to generate a one-pointed mind. However, Ajahn Samudo, the senior Western monk in the Ajahn Cha lineage, defines ekigata as the one point that includes everything. We might say that the one point that includes everything is the present moment. So one-pointedness is developed when our attention is fully in this moment. Because of the different meanings between meditative language and ordinary English concentration is not an ideal translation, collectedness or undistractedness might render the meaning of samadhi more clearly. However, Buddhist writers have been using the word concentration for more than a hundred years, so I will too. We just need to remember this refers to a unified mind, not a single exclusive focus of attention. Concentration is a highly valued meditative state that appears in many of the Buddhist lists of wholesome qualities to be cultivated. For example, Eightfold Path, Five Spiritual Faculties, Seven Factors of Enlightenment. Samadhi is the last factor in the Eightfold Path, which means it is the culmination of the section on meditation. It is developed by frequent moments of mindfulness, which can eventually become continuous. Although mindfulness has received more press coverage, concentration is the brighter star of the meditation show. It is what leads onward to wisdom. Knowing and seeing things as they really are is the purpose and benefit of concentration. The collected mind feels strong and steady, stable, and not easily shaken. Calm is usually an aspect of such a mind. And now calm is developed into an even more refined quality called stillness. In stillness, we feel imperturbable. Thoughts, moods, and sensations may still arise, but we see them clearly, and so they don't disturb this underlying stability. We feel a deep, sense of peace. Interest comes naturally because this state is so refined and beautiful. It's not that all the contacts are pleasant. There may be discomfort in the body, in a long sitting, for example. But we feel a great sense of appreciation while dwelling in this quality of mind. When thoughts and moods are quiet and interest is high, this is an ideal setting for intuition to arise and insights to flower. This is when we are able to see things as they really are. Many anatta insights are born from such states. So I thought that was a great explanation of the term concentration in the Buddhist context. Um, and you definitely hit that state, or I definitely hit that state in the Bikram yoga practice. 
every single time I practice it. Um, few things have been as consistent to put me there as that practice. Um, so he also mentioned mindfulness. And mindfulness and concentration go hand in hand. And I'm going to define mindfulness as an awareness of experience in the present moment regarding the body, physical sensations, including posture, feelings, emotions, thoughts, and patterns as they arise from moment to moment. So when the mind is unified or concentrated, mindfulness is also being practiced. So I particularly notice this um, in the standing head to knee pose. You're totally focused visually on one part of yourself in a mirror. You're listening to the teacher's instructions with all of your attention. There's all sorts of physical sensations that you're feeling in your body. Um, there's all kinds of feelings. There's thoughts that come up, but you're, you can see it clearly. It, it just arises and then dissolves as your mind is concentrated. And there's an ex there is, as he says in the book, an extreme feeling of peace. And then that leads to stillness. And then that leads to insights. Insights about what? About the true nature of reality, which is a core of the practice of Buddhism, is to experience the true nature of reality and to extinguish ignorance and delusion regarding the true nature of reality. And this, in essence, cuts off the roots of your suffering in this existence. Um, and I know that can sound abstract or a little far out, but the way I like to think about Buddhism and the way I practice Buddhism, I'm a lay practitioner. I'm not a teacher. I'm a yoga teacher, not Bikram yoga. I took a traditional yoga teacher training 200 hour course. Um, but the way I understand Buddhism is that it is a, it's a practice it's a system. It's a training system. What's the goal of the training system? To experience the true nature of reality, to understand it, and to ease your suffering in this life, right? And so the Buddha outlay lays out a path for you. And on that path, the last two parts of the path are mindfulness and concentration. And as the book says, concentration is the culmination of the meditative portion of the system. And I have, like I said, I wanted to record this podcast because the level of concentration that I'm hitting in these classes, I've never experienced before. And I practice other forms of meditation. Uh, kettlebell flow is a, it's a workout right? But it's also a form of meditation. I also have a traditional meditation practice, a sitting practice, where I sit on a cushion and use a mala or beads um, and meditate 
every day on that. And I still don't hit the concentration levels that I hit in the Bikram yoga practice. Um, there's also physical benefits, of course. There's tremendous physical benefits in the practice. It's an intense practice. Uh, some of the benefits you get are increased balance, uh, body composition. You get heat exposure because it's so hot. You sweat a ton. Um, you know, there's two in particular, though, uh, physical things to it that you don't really train in other systems, which is unique, which is knees over toes position. So during the chair series, you're going knees over toes really far. Um, I know there's a trend right now to train that with load, and a lot of people are doing it and having success. I think that's uh, risky. I like to train it without load or uh, without weight. The knees over toes position, like in an extreme knees over toes position. Um, the second one is a rounded spine, right? If you've ever trained with me or, you know, I'm constantly telling you to keep your back flat, big chest, straighten your spine, right? It's a strong position when you're handling load, it makes you stronger, it's safer. But you also, in everyday life, we round our backs. You know, when you pick stuff up, stuff we're just moving around naturally in life, you're going to round your spine out. So you need to train that so you're strong in that position. And I know there's some people that, uh, and some practices that train like Jefferson curls, which would be standing on a plyo box with like a very light kettlebell, bracing your abs and rounding out and then coming up very slowly. And I think that's fine, you know, but again, it's high risk. I like to train the rounded spine without weight. And the head to knee pose in Bikram, you get a great rounded spine and you come up and you can really train that. And my back feels great doing that. Um, it also decompresses the spine. I mean, in the very first series, uh, postures, you know, and you're, you go over and you grab your heels I mean, it's a decompression of the spine like I've never felt. And I've hung upside down. I've done all that stuff. And there's nothing like this if you do it right. Okay, so that's pretty much it. I just wanted to get on here and kind of, again, examine Bikram yoga through the lens of a Buddhist practice. Uh, so I've been doing it for about a year now, and it has been extremely beneficial for me. Um, if you want to try Bikram yoga, I highly recommend Pure Bikram in New Albany, Indiana. The teachers are experts. The, it's, the studio has been there for over 20 years. Um, it's an excellent studio. They do not pay a franchise fee to Bikram. I know there's been some controversy and some scandal around Bikram, the guy who, the guru who, uh, brought this system to the West, but I think it's very important to remember to focus on the teachings and not the teacher. The teachings are what's important, right? It's not the teacher. Um, and the teachers there are excellent. And it's a 90 minute class. It's the, it's the old school, pure Bikram yoga in New Albany, Indiana. Um, so if you want to check that out, please do. I highly recommend it. That's all I have for you. Um, I do have space on my personal training schedule if you'd like to train with me. I, I have an unconventional style of training 
mostly using kettlebells, uh, some cardio machines, and I blend yoga, kind of hard style, flow style kettlebell training with other systems of training, and it's highly effective, and it's fun to do. Um, I've trained a lot of different styles, and the style that I've sort of blended and, and practiced now with my clients, um, I'm, I really stand behind it. It's really excellent. It's really highly effective, and it's sustainable. It's very sustainable. I'm 41. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to deadlift 500 pounds or, you know, run an ultra marathon or anything crazy like that. My clients aren't either. We want to look good and feel good, most people. And that's what it's designed to do, to make you look good and feel good. Um, so hit me up if you would like to train. You can text me at 812-461-7273. Or you can Shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Holistic Personal Training 812 on Instagram. That's all I got for you today. May you be safe from harm. May your life be filled with ease and joy. May you be free. Namaste.